Hello, I'm Brian Johnston, Head of Property Litigation at Denton's, and welcome to the Denton's Property Litigation Podcast. Today, we're unpicking some of the issues arising from the access to neighbouring Land Act 1992. Joining me are John Deval QC and my senior colleague, Leanne Norton. John Deval is a leading property silk based in Gatehouse Chambers in Gray's Inn. John specialises in chancery and commercial work with particular focus on property law. He appeared in the seminal Supreme Court case of Cavendish and McDessie, which is the leading case on penalties. John has been a winner of a prestigious Legal 500, Real Estate, Environment and Planning Silk of the Year. John is also a proficient and skilled mediator. His ability to relate to parties whilst maintaining objective judgment makes him particularly adept at finding solutions to complex problems. He's been described as having QC clout without the QC attitude. He's a skilled communicator and has a background in teaching, which adds an extra dimension to his practice. John has acted on the leading case concerning the Access to Neighbouring Land Act 1992. It is the first time the High Court has had the opportunity to really look at and get under the skin of what is a very interesting act indeed. Leanne is also expert on the Access to Neighbouring Land Act and also acted on the leading case. She has many years' experience as a shrewd property litigation operator. Her practice covers all areas of development, easements, covenants, and site management. This puts her in an excellent position to put the most pertinent questions concerning the Act to John. Leanne, over to you. Hi, John. Hi, Leanne. Hi. So, I'll start with a relatively straightforward question. What is the Access to Neighbouring Land Act? Well, the Access to Neighbouring Land Act, or 1992, or ANDA as we call it for short, was introduced because there seemed to be a problem between owners of adjacent properties. The problem was that you couldn't go onto your neighbour's property in order to carry out repairs to your land or any work on your land. And this was evidenced by a famous case called Ank Brew House and Berkeley House development, where the court actually stopped somebody from swinging their cranes over the neighbouring land. So ANDA was introduced to give a person the right to apply to court for an order allowing them to gain access to neighbouring land to carry out basic preservation works to their property. So if you're an individual who is looking to gain access to a neighbouring property, who can utilise the powers conferred by the Act? Well, anyone who owns land, which in the uh, rather antiquated language of the Act is referred to as the dominant land, or possibly their contractors can use it to make an application for an access order, as it's called, over the neighbouring land, which again is called rather quaintly the Serviant land. And on what basis can a person or entity use? Well, the test is that the work has to be reasonably necessary for the preservation of the whole or part of the dominant land, and that it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to carry out the work without entry onto the Serviant land. The Act includes very many subjective terms, such as substantially more difficult. It's not just if it's impossible, if it would be very difficult indeed to do so. For example, if you think about a wall which abuts neighbouring land, the servient land, and you want to carry out work to the wall, in theory you might be able to lower scaffolding over your house to it, but in fact that makes it much more difficult than actually erecting the scaffolding on your neighbouring land. And in itself would amount to a trespass without... Without permission by the neighbour in any event. That's right, yes. So, in fact, it provides a mechanism for the court to make lawful what would otherwise be regarded as trespass. So, the Act talks about something called basic preservation works. What does that mean? 
Well, basic preservation works is defined in the Act, and it means the maintenance, repair, or renewal of any building on the dominant land. And then it goes on to give also other examples, such as uh, renewing drains or cables, treating hedges or trees, which is a common issue. But these definitions aren't exclusive. Basic preservation work just means that. It was argued in prime, the case in which Denton's you instructed me to act earlier this year, that you couldn't use the act if you had caused some of the damage yourself. For example, it was alleged in our case that our client had damaged the flank wall uh, by its own work. Although that was never proved, the judge said even if that were to be the case, it would still count as basic preservation work. Obviously, an issue arises if we are one is redeveloping a building. Now, in the prime case in which we acted, the building was actually being redeveloped, but a flank wall had been left in situ and the works were necessary to the wall. So the judge decided that this counted as basic preservation works. It wasn't the construction of something wholly new, as it would be if you were redeveloping building. However, if the whole of the building had been knocked down and you were just building a new wall, it would fall outside the scope of the Act and you would, in those circumstances, have to negotiate with your neighbouring owner for a right to do so. But again, the judge in prime said, if the works incidentally improve the wall, as of course you would do if you're re-rendering an old rendered wall, then that still counts as basic preservation works. What if the works, John, were such that they were changing the nature of a wall? So you were taking a perfectly viable wall that was not damaged in any way, shape or form. It didn't have um, water damage or ingress, etc. But for whatever reason, the developer wanted to say put render or a film of paint or something like that on top of it. Could the Act be engaged in those circumstances? I don't think so. I think that would fall outside the scope of the Act. I think the Act is very much focusing on providing a remedy for neighbours, people who have difficult neighbours who won't allow them to enter onto their land to carry out works of repair. I think if you're constructing something new or just doing an improvement, then you've got to negotiate face-to-face and you can only enter land on the terms that your neighbour agrees. I don't think the Act would be engaged and a court wouldn't help you in those circumstances. Yes, I think there's a distinction between a repair that amounts to improvement and simply an improvement for purposes of a redevelopment overall, and the Act only links into the repair um, side of things. So then what can be done if works will impact on the use of neighbouring property? Well, it's inevitable that the works will impact on the neighbouring property. Even putting up scaffolding on somebody's property has some kind of impact on it. But the Act imposes limitations, and again, These limitations haven't or weren't tested until the prime case was argued in front of the judge earlier this year. And the court won't make an order that says if the respondent, that's the person who owns the adjacent or servant land, would suffer interference or disturbance of their use or enjoyment of the land or hardship to such a degree that it would be unreasonable to make the order. It's a subjective test. In prime, it was argued that this would interfere with the works carried out by the respondent who were already developing the land, but the judge rejected that submission made by the respondent and gave them the option of nominating a date when the works could take place so it wouldn't suffer unreasonable hardship. Yes, yeah, so it's probably helpful sort of to talk a little bit surrounding the evidence there in terms of here we had a situation where there was an assessment of what interference there would be during the term of the works and then when the works were complete and the judge there, as I understand it, essentially said, as far as I'm concerned, your works won't interfere 
or were not, not amount to substantial interference or disturbance of the adjacent landowner's works, but in any event, you can nominate a date, which is still within a year's time, and once those works are completed to enable you to carry out those works. So essentially, the point I'm trying to make is that the court did not say that you could not seek access under the Act by pushing the works off to a later date. Yes, that's correct. And it's important to emphasise that in our case, all our client wanted to do was erect scaffolding, which would project about two or three feet onto the land and interfere possibly with an access way when there are alternative means of access from the front or the back of the property. One can imagine circumstances in which there would be substantial interference and the court would refuse to make an order on any terms whatsoever. So then turning to costs, can the cost of assessing whether access should be granted be recovered by the adjacent owner? Yes, under Section 2.9 of the Act, they can recover the costs of any expenses reasonably incurred. So an adjacent landowner faced with an application under the Act should instruct their own surveyor or other property professional, possibly even a solicitor as well, to give them advice and they could expect to recover those costs from the applicant and the applicant should expect to pay for the privilege of going onto the neighbour's land to some extent. Now, in Prime, the, the judge didn't make a determination under Section 2.9 that was deferred with the defendant being in a position where they were entitled to make that application at a later date. And we now know that's not proceeding. But in any event, do you have a view as to the extent to which costs could or couldn't be recovered? Costs, I think, in, in, in the Prime case would have been recovered had the matter litigated further. And the costs of additional measures such as the provision of insurance, third-party or public liability insurance, or the provision of security, for example, in terms of security guards, I think could also all be recovered by the adjacent landowner. Do you consider that a premium for access is recoverable? And can an adjacent owner look to ransom its position in any way, shape or form? The whole purpose of the Act is to prevent an adjacent landowner from ransoming the occupier of the dominant land. So the answer to that bit of the question is no. But the respondent can be compensated for any loss or injury or inconvenience of privacy. And also the applicant can be required to pay the respondent a sum to reflect the financial advantage, in other words, the profit or the gaining value of his property. But there's an important exception to that, which is that that doesn't apply if the land is residential land. Now, until our case, it was generally thought that residential land meant houses which were being occupied and didn't uh, refer to development sites. But the judge in favour of Prime, the applicant, decided that, in fact, the land, although there was only one more standing of the house, was residential land because, he said, once a property has the character of residential land, the character of a house, it remains residential land. So the circumstances in which an applicant would have to pay more than compensation, but a sum, a licence fee, to reflect the financial advantage it gains are really restricted to sites which aren't, aren't residential, but perhaps a completely new residential development, for example, like a conversion of an old brownfield industrial site into a residential might fall into that category. John, just on that point, that's really interesting. I mean, how do you think the court would go about approaching the calculation of that fee? I think the court would approach it in a similar way to the way that, for example, the lands chamber approaches a price for the release of a covenant. I think it would look for a fair price to amount to the equivalent that would have been agreed by two parties negotiating at arm's length, but it would exclude the ransom payment. So you would be paying some money 
but a third, and of course we know there's a rough and ready calculation, a Stokes and Cambridge calculation, which isn't in fact binding law, but is often used as a benchmark, that you get about a third of the value of the increase. That would be my starting point if I was acting for a respondent when the licence fee was going to be paid to me by an applicant. So potentially a, a bit of a payday if you um, are, are dealing with commercial property, but obviously not residential. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Can the adjoining owner determine when the works are carried out? The court has a wide jurisdiction to make an order that it thinks appropriate. And in the prime case, the court did give the chance to the respondent to nominate the dates. So it can work to be carried out at the time which is convenient to it. And I would expect the court to do that and to listen carefully to any concerns the respondent would have in relation to when the work should be carried out. In Prime, there was a question over the timing of the application and when the works needed to be undertaken. Um, obviously, from the date that the initial application was made to the eventual time that we were in court was almost a year and a half hmm. in terms of timing. And there was a question over whether the works were reasonably necessary at the point that we were at trial, given we'd allow there had been a year and a half that had passed in between. Do you have a view in terms of the assessments that the court determined there? Well, an issue was raised by the respondent who raised many issues in respect of all of which they were unsuccessful. An issue was raised by the respondent as to whether the works was reasonably necessary given the delay. But this was a wall where the render was deteriorating, allowing water ingress, and therefore it was going to get worse. And the, the idea that somehow the wall was stable was rejected by the judge. So I think the fact that there's always going to be a bit of a delay, hopefully not as long as 18 months, had been some unforeseen delays in this case caused by the respondent taking various points against the applicant. But hopefully hearing could be brought on quite swiftly and wouldn't be a significant amount of delay from the applicant's point of view. But obviously if you're talking about things like carrying out works to trees, such as pruning or cutting back, there are better and worse periods of the year to do that. Yes, and I think that an exact point taken in relation to the uh, rendering the flank wall and the timing for that because it was better for that to have been rendered in the summer or the spring to summer months than heading towards the winter months because of the nature of the render that needed to be applied. That's right. This, the cementitious render wouldn't dry below a certain temperature. So how is it best to approach a neighbour for access to carry out basic preservation works under the Act and what needs doing when making that approach? The best approach is always going to be an informal approach. Um, showing exactly what you want to do to the neighbour's land and providing a surveyor's report, explaining that so the neighbour can see what's involved and offering to pay for them to get legal advice because a friendly approach, a generous approach, is always most likely to produce a result which avoids litigation, which is always expensive and to be avoided if possible. Well, that just about brings us to the end of our time today. John, I'd like to thank you for joining us and for your insight on the Act and the practical advice for those seeking to use it or facing it being used against them by their neighbours. Clearly, there are some issues that remain unresolved, so you may well get the opportunity to shape the law in respect to the Act before the Court at some point in the future. Thank you very much for listening. My guests have been Leanne Norton and John Deval UC, and I hope you have enjoyed today's Denton's Property Litigation Podcast. <laughs>